praise has gone up. The walls have come down. We believe in Jesus. We've said it. We, as your people, believe it. Our praise has gone up and the walls have come down. Why don't you give him another shout of praise this morning? Come on, church. Church should be a loud pray, praising place where we express our thanks for God's goodness in our lives. Amen. You can be seated. Let's show our thanks and appreciation to our musicians again this morning. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is to be together. I've said this before, but let's never take it for granted. Coming together, being in God's house, being in a place where he's chosen us to be together so that we can experience and encounter his presence in our lives with one another. What a wonderful place. What a wonderful blessing. You know, I was just saying to, um, to Dale, just in the welcome there, we were in Florida. I was by the pool and it was 32 degrees. Oh, it was beautiful. Unbearably beautiful. Heavenly. I don't want to make you jealous, but I think we were there 16 days, 14 days, right? 14 days and we didn't have one day of rain. Maybe for just half an hour. And I was listening to Dale's message. I was so blessed by Dale and Paul, their ministry. I was listening to Dale's message by the pool. It was fantastic, in the shade, fanning myself. And he got to the part about staying on the wheel. Oh, man. When he said about staying on the wheel, I was so excited and so hot, I had to go and jump in the pool and cool myself off. But aren't you glad, aren't you glad that the church of God, the family of God, has many different voices to encourage us, to impart into us. And what we're going to see in the future of this church, I'm excited about what God is doing here. I'm excited about this church, and I know you are too. But what we're going to see in the future as, as our journey unfolds is the raising up of ministry gifts in this house. They're already there in place. Voices of experience, voices of wisdom, voices of maturity to lead us on and encourage us in our walk with God. So I'm so thankful, and I know you are too, for, for every ministry gift that comes into this place. And through this year, you're going to hear others among us speaking words of encouragement, words of faith, words of love to invest into your life. And let's never take it for granted, the blessing that people are and the blessing that we have in this house collectively as God's people. Is that okay? Fantastic. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about having a great attitude for life. Having a great attitude for life. If you were to examine your attitude today, what kind of attitude would you have? Would it be a strong, positive attitude that is good and healthy and expectant for the future? Or is life bitten hard into your attitude, into your expectation? 
has life and circumstance tried to crush that healthy, good, positive attitude that you once had for life and living? And now your expectation has been reduced to fear. Your expectation has been reduced to doubt. You may be cynical, critical. Your, your attitude for life and your outlook for life may be negative because of the many circumstances of life that have tried to press you and crush you and corner you and mold you. Paul in Romans chapter 12 encouraged the church because he knew that that, that there are many forces and many things around us within our world that are trying to shape us and mold us and squeeze us into, into its shape, into its pattern. And he said, listen, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't have to live by the pressures and the dictates of circumstance, you can go to God's word and you can open your life and your mind can be renewed and your perspective and your expectation can be reframed and reshaped around the values that God has for your life and the plans and the purposes that he holds for you. Don't lower your life down to the, to the mediocre expectations and voices that this world would try to shape you by. Rise up, be transformed, he says. Renew your mind. Have a great attitude for life. Come out on all four cylinders with, with an expectation that things are going to be good and things are going to go well. And it is going to work out just how God said it's going to work out. Don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on those things that God has spoken to you about. Have a great attitude. You know, it's important that we have a good attitude for life. It really is. Studies show that your attitude is more important than the education that you have. Your attitude for life is even more important than the development of your understanding and the broadening of your mind. Your attitude for life directly impacts everything about your future. Your attitude is the all-important number one thing that is so precious and is so important. It has such a big impact on where you're going and where we're going as a church and as a family. Your attitude, your attitude, one man said, determines your altitude. It determines where you're going. It determines how high you're going to go in life. It determines whether you're going to break through those limitations, break through those ceilings, break through those restrictions, or whether you're going to live under them. Your attitude has a great impact on what you do and where you go and who you are. You know, our world tells us that the important things of life are all external. You know, it's important to, 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 to go down the gym and work out. It's important to, to eat the right things. It's important to, to wear the right clothes. It's important to, 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 to you know, wear 
and to be the person that they want you to be. They tell you to concentrate on the externals and there's nothing wrong with that to a degree. But the Bible has a message, not just to concentrate on the externals, but what about the internals? What about inside? No, there's very little talk about inside, about who we are and who we're becoming in the world in which we live. Because the world concentrates on the external. You know, you can wear designer labels, but you can't cover up a bad attitude. You know, you can, you can make up your face. You can look all good. You can have the best physique in the building. But if you've got a stinking, rotten attitude, if you're lethargic, if you're a complainer and a critic, and you're always pulling somebody down, Listen, sadly, and this is, this, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing anybody this morning, but sadly, nobody is going to want to be with you. You've got to have a good attitude. If you're going to prosper in life, if you're going to attract people to you, if you're going to be a blessing to others, people are going to want to be around a person like that. They're not into people being critical. Do you know, I've, I've seen people who are bitter. I, I've unfortunately seen people who are critical. And every word and every sentence they speak rips into somebody or tears them down. And before long, that bitter strength, that forceful will, it doesn't damage the people that they're criticizing necessarily, but it damages them. God doesn't want that for anybody. God wants your life to soar. God wants your life to thrive. God wants your life to be everything he's designed it to be and created it for. He doesn't want you to be bitter or angry or critical. He wants your attitude to be good and strong and prosperous to enter into everything that he has for you. You know, I read a book once and it was called you are what you eat. It's a book by Dr. Gillian McKeith, right? Interesting book. You are what you eat. And the book, you know, it talked about good food and bad food. And it talked about how good food enriches your life and how bad food has a detrimental effect on your life. Interesting book. I can't say I followed all of its advice. You know, living two weeks in Wendy's, having triple Dave burgers. I'm not sure if that was in the book. But I tested them out anyway. But I'm telling you, you can't live. You can't live on a bad, unhealthy diet without it affecting your life. And that, that was the whole philosophy, the whole ethos, ethos of her book. You are what you eat. Well, the Bible says it a different way. In this way, it talks about you are what you think. Not only you are what you eat, but more importantly, you are what you think. Proverbs, you're going to recognize this verse straight away. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says this, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, when God's going to do something great in your life, 
when God is going to take you into his plan and into his purpose, when God's going to bless you and enrich you as he always wants to do. The one thing that he always focuses on is how you think. How you think. God may be challenging you today and may have been challenging you over the months with how you think. And it may have felt uncomfortable. It may have felt, you know, out of the ordinary. It may have challenged you and, and, and brought correction to you. But when God wants to do something great in our lives, when God wants to take us to another level of living, he always comes and addresses the way we think. You can see this over and over again in the Bible. And I'm just going to refer, throw some, some, some Bible verses out to you this morning to emphasize that. You'll remember in Exodus when God came to Moses, he's by a burning bush and God begins to speak to him and he begins to challenge him and he says this. He says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to set my people free. Moses immediately rises up and begins to argue and contend with God. And he begins to tell him all of the reasons why he can't do what God wants him to do. And he comes out with this statement. And it's interesting. He says, who am I? God didn't answer that. Thank God. God didn't answer that. God didn't answer Moses on the mentality that he had developed in the wilderness for 40 years. It was a mentality of rejection. It was an attitude that had become cynical and critical and defeatist. God did not answer Moses on that level, on that mentality. God simply said, in the face of Moses saying, I, who am I? God said, I am who I am. Let's not talk about you, Moses. Let's get your attention off who you are. Let's focus on who I am. You see, what was God doing? He was taking him into another place of life, into another level of living. And the first thing he did before he took him to where he wanted him to be in delivering the people of, of Israel from Egypt, he addressed his thinking, he adjusted his attitude so that he could do what God wanted him to do. God may be challenging the way you think. God may be challenging some of the attitudes that you hold in order to take you into a bigger life experience and to get this faith and this expectation for his plan and his purpose out of you. He challenges the way that we think when he comes to us, when he wants to lead us into something new. He did it with Gideon. My gosh. There he is, threshing wheat in a hole in the ground. And that hole in the ground kind of pictures and describes Gideon's outlook for life. Living in a hole, the lowest place, underground, hidden from everybody. The angel turns up, says, hey, mighty warrior, mighty man of valor. Can you see how God is thinking? Gideon, much like Moses, contends with the angel, argues with the angel. 
And, and, and he, be, he begins to say, who on earth? Basically, reading between the lines, he's saying, who on earth are we talking about here? And he responds, and his, his, his image of himself is so poor, and he's got good fact to base his poverty of thinking and his poverty of mind on. And he recites all of the reasons why he can't do what God is calling him to do. And he says, listen, my family's the least in the nation. Da-da, trumped you on that, God. As if God didn't know. And not only that, let's take it one step further. Not only is my family the least in the nation, I'm the least in my family. I'm the run to the family. Nobody's got any respect for me. That's why they've sent me out here in this hole, in this wine press to thresh wheat. And anyway, if that doesn't get you, God, how about this one? Where are all the miracles our forefathers spoke about? Where are all of those miracles that you supposedly did once? It's all over. It's all ended. Low expectation. Low level thinking. A crushed, broken attitude that was based on real facts in his life. My family's the least. I'm the least in my family. There's no miracles. God's not doing anything. He's forgotten us. God turns up. He's about to do something great in Gideon's life. So he challenges that mindset in an extreme way. Mighty man of valor. You're going to do it. Go in this, your strength. You mean, I've got strength? Yeah, you've got strength. You've got a resource within you from me that's going to do something great, not only for you and your family, but it's going to set free an entire nation from the enslavement and the oppression of the Midianites. Now go. And he goes and incredible things happen. From this man that has such a, such a broken attitude when God finds him. But he believes God's word. Incredible what can happen when we just slowly adjust maybe the attitude that we have, the thinking that's developed from years maybe of hardship, years of brokenness, years of, of rejection and pain. It's amazing the transformation that can take place when we just make small course adjustments. You make the choice. God makes the change. You make the choice. You make the choice today. You make the choice today that you're not going to live under the ceiling of a bad attitude, under the limiting thoughts that you've been conditioned by. You make the choice today. God's going to make the change. You're going to be amazed. And what he's going to do just by those small adjustments that you make in your life. You know, just, just this weekend, I was told about a person that's, that's having a really difficult time in work unjustly by their, by their boss being singled out and criticized and pulled over the coals and, and really unjustly, you know, being, being like 
bullied, oppressed. But you know what encouraged me? Was the person said to me, do you know what we've chosen to do? We've chosen to pray. Pray for the person that's oppressing me. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that God's going to be good to them. We're going to pray that God's going to bring them through. We're going to pray for whatever reason why they have this bad attitude, this bullying spirit, this oppressive nature. We're going to pray that God changes them and helps them and brings them through. What is that? That's a good attitude. That's a great expectation of faith for God to do something where, where, where it seems impossible. This characterizes the people of God. It really does. Do you know, when we, we, we flew to Florida nine hours, I think it was on the way there, just under eight hours on the way back, and on... It's interesting, you know, on every plane there's an attitude indicator. The pilots among us might know this. There's an attitude. Not only is there an altitude indicator that indicates the height of the plane, but there's an attitude indicator. And the pilot has to ensure that the attitude of the plane stays above the oncoming horizon. Because if he does not stay above the oncoming horizon, there's going to be a collision. It's like it in life. All of us have this attitude indicator within. And we have to ensure if our life is going to be everything that God has called it to be, that attitude indicator has to be balanced correctly. If the nose of your attitude goes down, hey, listen, it's not long before your life is going to head that way and you're going to take others with you. But if the nose of your life is going up, the attitude of your life is good and strong and healthy and well, things are going to go well for you. It's all important. Attitude is so Important. Let me refer to another time. Numbers chapter 13. Ten spies go into, or 12 spies, sorry. Moses sends 12 spies into the promised land. They're at an amazing moment in their journey with God. Amazing time. They're about to inherit the promise. They're about to inherit everything that God has promised for them. They should have been excited. Two million of people, over two million people brought out of Egypt. God did countless miracles on the way to get them to this moment. And now Moses commissions them to go into the land, spy it out. Spy the land out. Bring back a report. Now God's already told them that it's a promised land. God's already told them about all of the blessings that he's provided for them in that land. Well, 12 spies go out for 40 days. They oversee and they look and they search out the land. When they come back, everybody's waiting. What report are they going to bring? Do you know 10 spies brought back? You know it. A bad, cynical, critical report. 
They said things like, the cities are huge. The walls are well fortified. The people are great. There's giants in the land. Not only that, we felt like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Caleb stands up with Joshua and he says, listen, be quiet. His report was a good report. He said, listen, we are more than able, more than able to deal with this situation, to go into the land. We got to get up now, man. We got to go at once and obey God and inherit everything that he's provided for us and promised us. What is that? That's a good attitude. That's a faith-filled expectation that things are going to be everything that God's declared them to be. Amazing. Sadly, the ten, the ten spies who reported with an unbelieving, fearful, bad report steered over two million people. And it wasn't long, within hours, in fact, that they were conversing about going back to Egypt. They wanted to turn back. They wanted to, to leave the very place that God had brought them to, to inherit the best. And then after that, God said, listen, you're not going up into this land anymore. The only two that, that are fit to go up into this land is Joshua and Caleb and your children. And listen, you're going to be in this wilderness now for 40 years until you die in this place. What a sad dilemma. And it was at the heart of it all was an unbelieving, cynical attitude that kept them out of God's blessing. Attitude. Your attitude, our attitude is so important as to where we're going, as to our life expectation and our life experience in God. Let me ask you today, Again, what is your attitude for life? Is it good? Is it healthy? Is it positive? Is it well? Or is it negative and cynical and doubtful and suspicious? Well, nothing ever good happens to me. No. Just make an adjustment. Just make a change. And you'll be surprised how good life will be. I was reading recently just about Christopher Columbus. An amazing discoverer. And in the 1400s, and this is, this is almost unbelievable to us now. But people actually believed that the earth was flat. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? The earth is flat. And on all of their maps, on all of their charts, around the borders and the edges of their maps and their charts was a motto. An insignia, a statement of limitation. No more beyond. In fact, it was the national motto of Spain. No more 
beyond. It was on their currency, that motto. It was a message that hung over the world that they believed. There was no more beyond their boundaries. There was no more lands to discover. There was no more beyond the limitations. Don't go too close to the edge. You might fall off. Until Christopher Columbus in 1492 stood up and challenged that philosophy, challenged that attitude. And he, with an adventuring, pioneering spirit, decided to go beyond their limitations, go beyond their restrictions. And he set out on voyage and he went beyond the maps and the borders and the boundaries and the, and the statement of no more beyond and he discovered the Americas. And he had four amazing voyages of discovery as he broke through every boundary and every limitation and every restriction that the world had placed on him. One man, one man with a spirit of faith, with a great attitude of discovery to go against the flow. He gets home after discovering the Americas and he reports to the Spanish government and they change immediately their motto from no more beyond to more beyond more beyond they changed their currency they changed all of the insignias on their charts and on their maps why because a man went beyond their borders and their boundaries and their limitations in a spirit of faith in a spirit of discovery i'm telling you now if a man can sail around the world over the atlantic to discover new lands what the, what can the people of god do what can the people of god do and what phrase classifies your life today? My life. We have to ask the question. It's good to ask the question. Do we fall under the camp that says there's no more beyond? There's no more beyond this redundancy. There's no more beyond this difficult marriage. There's no more beyond this divorce. There's no more beyond this sickness that continually plagues my body, I give up. There's no more beyond this limitation. Or do we have that spirit of faith, that attitude that is formed and formulated by the promises of God that rises up and isn't, will not settle for the limitations and the, and the restrictions that this world wants to put on us that says there is more beyond. There is more beyond this redundancy. There is more beyond this debt. There is more beyond this difficult situation in my marriage, in my relationships. There is more beyond this, this hardship in my job. There's more beyond. And I'm not going to settle for anything less until I enter into everything that God has for me. There's more beyond, church. There's more beyond. When God came to Moses... What was he saying, Moses, there's more beyond this wilderness of rejection that you've been in for 40 years. There's more beyond, Moses. There's more beyond the mistakes and the murder in Egypt. There's more beyond the critical remarks that you left Egypt under from my people. There's more beyond, Moses. Now get up, believe who I am, 
and go back into what I've, what, what I've destined you to go back into and bring my people out. And he did. It was hard. It was difficult. It was out of his comfort zone. But as he obeyed, God did what only God can do. And he used the stuttering man that couldn't put two words together to stand up in the face of a Pharaoh and defy him and bring him down. I'm telling you, you haven't got to be able to, to speak cleverly. You haven't got to be able to ar articulate or argue or reason. If God is on your side, if God is behind you, I'm telling you now, woe be to anybody that would stand in your way, church. My God, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You're more than a conqueror through Christ. Who strengthens you? He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within you. If your mind argues with that power that's working within you, I'm telling you, take hold of that imagination, cast it down, bring it under submission to obedience with Christ, and go with what God is doing inside you. It's what he did to Gideon. Gideon, there's more. There's more beyond his winepress. Gideon had resigned himself to the oppression of the Midianites. Gideon had resigned himself to being the least in his family and his family being the least in the nation. My God, by the time God finished with him, he was at the top of the tree, man. And I'm not saying that can happen to all of us, but you understand the spirit of faith and the expectation that God has for your life when you examine these great heroes of faith in the Bible. You haven't got to have it all cracked together. But listen, when God speaks to you, listen to what he says. Believe it, even if there's you know, even if everything within you is rising up against it and arguing. And standing in its way, go, go with what God says. You know, by, God said to, to one prophet in the Old Testament, he said, listen, the just shall live by faith. But then he adds this, he says, I'm not pleased when people shrink back. I'm not pleased when people shrink back. When God comes and he starts speaking these great things about your life, about what you're going to do, about who you are, there's a tendency to shrink back. Shrink back. No, that's not me. No, I can't do that. No, you can. You can. Don't shrink back. To just live by faith. If you said it, if you said it, I might not be able to see it yet. But because you have said it, I believe what you have said. Even though it contradicts what I think and how I feel, I believe what you have said. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. Go forward in faith. Paul, the apostle, when he wrote his letter to the Philippians, 
was in a prison, incarcerated in chains. He makes a statement in the book of Philippians and he says this, referring to his life, he said, I feel as if my life is going to be poured out like a drink offering. He was possibly at the eve, at the end of his life. Prisons are places that break people, incarcerate people, limit people. Yet when you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, his attitude is higher than it's ever been. It's strong. It's good. It's focused. It's passionate and zealous and surrendered to the pressures around him undefeated, even though all of the external events around him seem so contrary to his, to, to, to his faith and to who he is. This man is unbroken in his attitude, in his expectation of life. Understand the context of the letter to see the greatness of the attitude that this man had in his darkest hour. He was saying things like, rejoice in the Lord. And if you didn't get it the first time, again, I say rejoice. The man is in chains. The man is bound. The man is in prison. He's got nowhere to go. He can't see any further than the four walls that surround him. But his spirit is thriving. His attitude is strong. And he's undefeatable. Undefeatable. And he writes. He writes. These words, Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13, he says, now he's in prison. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Incarcerated in a prison, yes, but strengthened by Christ to go through the trial, to go through the darkness, to go through all of the limitations, strengthened by Jesus to do it. He could, he could live his life well and be sufficient and live in abundance and be unaffected by it. But also, if, if the circumstances of his life quickly changed to the point that he, that he was abased and had nothing to rely on and he was empty, empty and, and hungry, he still could go through it without any kind of complaint, without any kind of criticism leaving his mouth. Why? Because the strength of Christ formulated his attitude and his expectation for living. More beyond this prison. More beyond these restrictions. And he wrote about that more beyond. Listen, you can hear. You can hear. 
the voice of an attitude in a person's life. You can see it manifest on the, caricature, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the features of their face. Whether it's light-hearted, buoyant, and positive, or whether it's harsh and condemning and hard, you can see attitude, you can hear attitude. And Paul tells us in this very letter about the ingredients of developing a good Christ-centered attitude. You read Philippians 4 and you see the reasons why he could arrive confidently at that statement, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you say that in the face of, awful situa- of an awful situation? How can you say that in the face of being hounded and beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and lowered down in a basket, hidden from sight because everybody wants to kill you. How can you say that? I'll tell you how you can say it. It's found in Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. He says this, before he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, before he reveals this undefeatable attitude, He shows us the ingredients of how to develop such a spirit. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You want to know how to have a strong attitude? You want to know how to walk into life positively and to be strong and buoyant when everybody else is going down? I tell you something now, it begins right here. You are what you think, just like the Bible said. And Paul said, listen, if you get these ingredients right in your thinking, your attitude for life, in spite of all of the circumstances around you, will bring you through. Will bring you through. Amen. Well, there's a lot more to say. But we'll... We'll bring it to a close. We'll bring it to a close. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I hope you're encouraged today. Challenged. Encouraged. Instructed. Amen. I heard a story about a lady who used to look out of her window every day. And she used to see her neighbor hanging her washing out on the line. And every time her neighbor would hang the washing on the line, the lady would comment to her husband, look at her doing it again. Look at that dirty washing. Look how grimy it looks. She can't even get the stains out of her own clothes, man. 
What a waste of time. I don't even understand why she hangs them on the line. Week after week, she would criticize her neighbor as she hung her laundry out on the line. It's dirty. It's disgusting. It's grimy. I mean, look at the stains in it. And the record would play week after week as her neighbor, unaware of the comments, would just hang her laundry out. And then one day, everything changed. Woman went into the kitchen. Husband's there. She said, my God, look at the clothes. There's no more stains. They don't look grimy. They're not dirty. What on earth has happened? What, how on earth has she done this? Husband looked at his wife and said, well, I don't know, but this morning I washed our windows. I thought I'd end with this one. This morning I, I washed our windows. Don't know if that's got anything to do with it. Moral of the story. Moral of the story. Dirty windows, dirty clothes. Dirty windows, dirty world. Simple. Just got to wash the windows. Wash the windows. Good attitude, great life. Bad attitude, bumpy life. Bumpy life. Bumpy life. Do you know, I've discovered one thing and I think it's really important and it's so simple, it's easily missed. It's just so much easier being nice, isn't it? Nice with people, nice about life, nice about yourself. It's just easy. It's so much easier. It's hard when you're grumpy. It's hard when you've got a chip on your shoulder. It's hard. And look, I'm not, I'm in this journey too. I'm wearing these shoes too. I'm not just pointing this out to you. This is as much a challenge to me, but we're in this together. We're in this together. And maybe today we just need to wash the grime off the windows of our mind. And it'll be amazing what we see. One man went out into the world and he said, well, do you know what? I woke up every day and I went out into my world looking for the good. I just had that one motivation, looking for good. And I'd come home every day and I'd be amazed. I found it everywhere. Another man turned around and said, well, I went out into my world looking for the bad. And consequently, every day at the end of my day, I was surprised because I found it everywhere. What are you looking for? What's your motivation in life? What do you want to see? What do you want to get out of life? Paul said, hey, listen, when you think about those things that are pure, those things that are noble, those things that are excellent, those things that are praiseworthy, when that's framing your expectation, when that's framing your mind, when that's your whole motivation and your picture for life, it's amazing what you will see. Amen. God's so good because you know some of us today are looking through shattered windows broken windows he's going to repair some window panes he is he's so good he really is some of us today 
You know, listen, I'm telling you now, I'm just talking from experience today. I've looked through dirty windows. I have. Oh, but it's so good to look through a clean window. It's so good to to just, and when that window gets blurred, I realize that the problem is not necessarily out in the world in which I'm looking. The problem may be a bit little, bit closer to home. My perspective, my frame of reference, how I view things. And maybe I just got to ask the Holy Spirit to help me clean my perceptions and my perspectives. And then again, you can look out onto the world that God loves and see the goodness around you. Amen. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for your care. We thank you that you love us, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We know how important it is to think right. We know how important it is, Jesus, to have a right attitude. We know how heavy it can be sometimes when we grumble and complain and when we, when we despise the life that you've given us. Oh God, I pray that you take the ashes of our broken lives and you beautify those broken areas of each one of our lives that again, we will be able to go into our world strong, into our marriages and into our homes and into our families, into our workplaces, into our, into our schools and our universities. And again, Lord, we would see the great things that you placed around us. Lord, I pray for your people today that our minds would be renewed, that our lives would be transformed, that we would walk in everything that you have destined for us to walk in. I pray this blessing over your people now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to sing. Come on, let's lift a shout of praise in this place. God is good. And we give you praise, Jesus, in this place.